Hi there, welcome to a new episode of Lou Reads. Thank you so much for choosing the podcast, but just before we begin, if you're planning on reading the book that we're discussing this episode, maybe don't listen to this one. You don't want anything to get ruined. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lou Reads. I hope you're all doing very well. It is not raining for once, but it is grey and cloudy and probably perfect to be inside and listening to something or, I don't know, walking about. Be a nice day for a walk, who cares? It doesn't matter. I'm not I'm not releasing this on the day I'm recording it anyway, so it's completely and utterly irrelevant. Um, I hope you guys have had a good week. Mine has been boring. I've just been, I've literally just been, I'm back at work, so I've been going to work, coming home, going for a run, watching TV, going to bed, waking up, repeating it, and it's, it's, you know, it's what it is, it's a treadmill. But um, this week, I have a new book for you, and the book we're going to be talking about this week is A Curious Instant of the Dog in the Nighttime. Um, I don't know if I've brought this novel up before, I think I might have, like, threatened it. <laughs> Um, a few weeks ago, right back at the beginning of the podcast. Um, it's a book which is, it's supposedly like a young adult, a teen book, YA kind of thing. But um, I think it has a lot of value to look at as a grown up and I, it's still an interesting read. That's the thing. I was um, I was talking to this, <laughs> I want to say this like child I know, but I was essentially talking to someone who was nine years old about books because um, I started talking about the book Holes and she was saying that she wanted to read it but she's only nine and she was like I don't, I'm not allowed to because it's not in my section of the bookshop and I was saying well the thing is those books get put in the section of the bookshop but that's not always who can read them you know, and I was saying how grown-ups read Holes, and I think Holes is such an interesting book, and I want to talk about it soon. I feel like I already have. I think I might have, again, at the beginning of this podcast, a few weeks ago, I was thinking about all the books I talk about, and Holes was definitely one of them, but that's irrelevant. But Curious Incident, I'm going to call it Curious Incident, because I can't be saying Curious Incident of the Dog at Nighttime, is um, a book which has merit for both a teen audience and an adult audience, not so much younger than that mainly because there's like swearing and stuff in it but it's very interesting and interesting in terms of form um and I just want us to talk about a quick thing before we begin so this book is by Mark Haddon and he has said in multiple places conflicting things about whether or not the protagonist has autism um, he has said on his website, I believe, that it is not about a character with autism. It's, you know, um, Christopher is just someone who processes things slightly differently. But I have read older um, articles written by him. I believe there's one in The Guardian where he claims that it is about some um, a young boy with autism. So I'm not going to... I know it's sort of the, like, most obvious thing about this book and um people do you know that is what people know primarily about this book before they know anything else is that the protagonist Christopher is supposedly autistic I'm not going to touch on that purely because of this sort of like conflicting thing um 
because I, I was I was researching it a while back trying to find out if people believed it was an accurate portrayal of um, autism and essentially there isn't a conclusive thing to say whether or not um, he intended for Christopher to be autistic so we're not gonna we're not gonna touch on that purely just because it's like muddy water and there's no point I can do a whole podcast talking about <laughs> how he's written a certain character um and then find out that half of the assumptions that I'm using are not backed by the author or not credited by many people and I think it's just sort of a bit of um a bit of a knot of a situation at the moment um that I don't really want to try and untangle but there there is something there and um I mean, I suppose if you want to go all like death of the author, does it really matter of what Christopher, not Christopher, what Mark Haddon has to say? But that is, I can't even think about that right now. So the reason I want to talk about this book is because, so the form, it uses quite a lot of different forms in it. So the book is written by Christopher as a sort of, um, he's trying to write a detective novel and it's about more than that it's not about the detective novel you find out that someone's dog's died but it's kind of a bit of a footnote it's just sort of like an intense opening and then you move on to other stuff to do with his mother how he's been lied to sorry if that's a massive spoiler I'm gonna keep spoiling it um there's a little disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast that if you're gonna read it you shouldn't listen to it so it's your fault for getting (laughs) this far um but so there's quite um it's about essentially him navigating his way through the world, finding out that his mother isn't really dead, that she's just had an affair and gone off somewhere, and that's all that sort of sort of stuff. And the formatting of this is very interesting. So what we have throughout is we have lots of... I'm picking it up to show you, but I can't because this isn't on camera, but um, lots of... diagrams so even on page two we have diagrams then on page 12 we have diagrams and often they become more and more mathematic so on 16 we've got them they're literally every like five or six pages we have diagrams and we also have um he talks about the monty hall problem which is one of my favorite problems ever um to talk about um if you want to look it up, go look it up yourself because this is not a maths podcast because I'm one of the least mathematically talented people ever. So <laughs> we're not going to go into that. But um, there are lots of graphs, lots of equations and lots of sort of simple workings out of things. There are maps, there are drawings, there are I think there's a letter in its true form at one point. There's just lots. There's handwritings. Yeah, there's handwritings, stamps, graphs, lots and lots of letters, handwritings, again, graphs. I mean, I'm just going through this now. Um, Dr. Dots. Oh, no, wait, that's constellations. (laughs) There are constellations, not Dr. Dots. Um, There's loads of stuff. And what that is, is... um, very it's form right to do with the form and what Haddon's done is he has changed the form to fit the narrator so we know throughout that Christopher is a narrator who likes maths right it's quite present it's one of the things that runs throughout 
and regardless of whether or not he's autistic he is someone who struggles to understand certain things right so what he's done is he's taken those things and he's remembered that he's speaking from the from Christopher's point of view and he has really got inside the brain of his protagonist and said you know how would this person write this book you know sort of disregarding traditional form um and including things that the narrator would want to speak about would feel that they are able to relate to if they can't relate um it says at the opening how Christopher is less able to identify emotions um and so we don't get a lot of that throughout the book right he has taken on um Haddon has taken on a protagonist who doesn't work in the same way that most other protagonists do and that is with um sensitivity to other characters and their expressions and their feelings and a complete awareness of the situation and he has given us a very um almost unreliable narrator I would say um I want to say sheltered or blinkered but that's not quite the right word I think just a very um I would say focused narrator he hasn't got the wider picture but he's very focused on what we see and what this means is that the form changes feel very fitting within the novel right they don't feel like they come out at you from nowhere they don't feel like well what's the point they've just put this in they don't feel irrelevant they don't feel they don't feel forced they feel organic and they feel um as part of the sort of novel's texture they fit very well they're very seamlessly integrated and they always have a purpose because the purpose is that we see that Christopher is understanding what's going on around him via these things, right? They are almost his coping mechanisms. And so we have a very clear line of thought to follow. We track his thought from one to another without much difficulty. And actually, there's another thing that I'm going to go on to in a minute. But um, we, we know what's going on very well. And we have a really good sense of the situation. And we also have a sense of Christopher. So those sort of diagrams work in a really good way to familiarize us with the main character what these diagrams also do is they give a very interesting slant to the novel so it's sort of um it, i mean it's a small point but it lightens them up lightens the novel up and it makes it feel I don't know, it feels younger, it feels more youthful, and I can see why it's targeted towards um, a young adult audience. Now, there's a th question of understanding within this book, right? Because we have a protagonist who doesn't understand things as well as many of the readers will. And I think that that um, is, a, is a good linking point to the novel Room by M um, Anna Donoghue. Ooh, I'm weirdly out of breath. Um, by Anna Donoghue, which we looked at a few weeks ago, which is a novel where our protagonist is very young and Jack in Room is five years old and he doesn't have a really a, a full sense of the outside world because he's been sheltered for so long. And in both of these novels, we have a sensation of the reader having two understandings. So you get this sort of dual viewpoint where you are experiencing 
the narrative and the events of the book through the character and you are also experiencing what they don't know. So you get a sense of dramatic irony, although I don't know if dramatic irony applies to novels or just drama. But um, you got get the sense of sort of two layers of understanding, right? A duality. And that makes that makes the book very interesting. You can figure out reading this book what's going on without Christopher knowing. And it then opens up um sort of empathy so you can have empathy for characters which Christopher can't so his dad you can feel sorry for you can feel sorry for his mother you can feel sorry for the policeman trying to keep getting home safe you can feel sorry for all of these people which you wouldn't have been able to feel sorry for if you were purely viewing it from Christopher's point of view and that's the same in room you feel sorry for Ma you feel sorry for um Ma's grandma Ma's Ma grandma you feel sorry for some of the doctors and you feel sorry for Jack himself even though Jack has no reason to feel sorry for himself so you do get a sort of um a duality this novel also (laughs) um I'm going to keep talking about how well it knows its protagonist because that is the most important thing this book is a book that knows its protagonist very well and it knows it knows how to push them so you know those sayings that people say like write your characters love your characters and then put them in the worst situations for them I think this is absolutely one of those cases and it's very effective because you have Chris who is um he likes things to be very ordered very set very understandable very rational very logical and through his sort of um digging he finds himself in a situation which is erratic and not at all understandable and is very emotional and that normal, um, not normal, that's a completely, completely derogatory way to say it, I'm trying to say a typical protagonist would be able to navigate um, very easily, he finds difficult and so you know, we have a very character-led book. This book is only sustained because of Christopher and because of the things he does. And we see throughout the novel echoing him and um, relaying the way in which he feels about situations to us, the reader, through its form. So I'm not just talking about, you know, the, um, the diagrams and the drawings and the maps and all sort of that, those things. We have um, the most, the part I want to talk about um, here, I would say, is when he's on the train and he's getting really stressed out. And, uh, oh, I've not written down the page number. There is a bit where he's on the train and it is very, very stressful because he doesn't really understand. And I'm trying to find the page and I'm trying to keep talking even when I'm trying to find the page, and um, he is in London, so I've gone too far and I need to go back. So um, here we go, he's at the train station, and he says, so for about, for a good section, lots of it starts with, and I said, and he said, and I said, and he said, or, and she said, and then, and then, before that, we have lots of sentences starting with and then and what that does I think there's also quite short sentences there is it prompts it to feel like an onslaught of events which 
is what that would completely and utterly feel like if you were Christopher in that situation. You've got yourself on a train and a lot is happening and you are unable to, sorry, my rings are tinkling on my mug. Um, you are unable to fully process everything. So it does feel overwhelming. And then it feels like it's getting carried away with itself, right? The book feels, oh, my voice is going, oh, everything's going wrong. Oh, it's gone again. Okay. <laughs> the book feels like it's running away from you and you can't really keep track of it. And I think that that's a very good um, evocation. Is that the way you say it? Evo ev ev evocation. Um, you know, it evokes what Christopher is feeling <laughs> at that moment in time. And we, um, we find ourselves able to sympathise with him because through the novel's form, which... Um, understands the protagonist almost entirely I would argue we are exposed to his situation and we feel that way ourselves and there is um, a good relationship between reader and protagonist that is built so what else was there to say about Christmas the dog in the night time I think it's very hmm what else is there to say? I've started saying this and now I have nothing else to say. Um, it does a lot of explaining, right? It does a lot of telling and not showing. Um, which I know I talk about a lot in books, right? I think this is like the fourth or fifth time I've talked about on this podcast about show, don't tell, how it's sort of one of those like cardinal rules that you get told when you go to writing school. Writing school being, I don't know, whatever. When you do take a writing class. Um, or, I don't know, whatever you do, you always get told, like, show, don't tell. Um, obviously, all rules have exceptions, and this is one of those instances where we have an exception. Because Christopher, first of all, he's writing the novel, right? And he's not a novelist. He is a boy um, trying to write a novel. So it doesn't have to be a great novel. Obviously, it is a great novel because it's a good read, but he doesn't know all the tricks and secrets and things that you need to abide by, supposedly, when you're writing a book. Second of all, um, he doesn't completely understand people. So he can say, it's almost, it is essentially, actually, you are telling no, you are showing and not telling when he says things like, this person looked angry. I thought this person was upset because they did this. Because what you're showing is you're showing your protagonist's thought process, which then tells you about the protagonist and the way in which they operate. And I think that that's, um, that's slightly overlooked <laughs> in terms of when you get taught these rules. There are instances in which it's appropriate to break them, Obviously, I would be saying a completely different thing if this was a different novel with a different protagonist. And that's important because what's happened here is Haddon has completely given the work over to Christopher, right? Not for a moment do I feel like I know what Mark Haddon's writing is like. I feel like I know what Christopher's writing is like. I feel like I know the character very well. He knows the character exceptionally well and so can um, bring him out on the page in sort of multicolour he's very very well developed but um what was I saying I was saying that these rules apply to books and to characters 
that aren't this character. So, for example, I've got literally next to me Hot Milk by Deborah Levy, and I might have said, I think last week I was complaining about how it does a lot of telling and not a lot of showing. That is inappropriate for that book, because we have a novel um, that has a protagonist who is far more complex not saying that Krista isn't complex, but um, Christopher is quite overt and quite um, willing throughout the novel to say what he understands and what he doesn't understand and why he feels certain ways and why he doesn't feel certain ways. Whereas um, Sophia in Hot Milk, she feels a little more... um, She feels a little more enigmatic she feels a little more um quiet and so she wouldn't just overtly say these things and also we aren't given a direct form in hot milk in in curious instant we are given that christopher is trying to write a story and so we have a much better idea of him sitting in a room writing this novel than we do with um levy's novel of sophia trying to tell her story it's a very different thing So what Curious Instant is, um, is a novel which is very important in terms of looking at form and understanding your protagonist and really having them write in your head before you go on to write your novel. And obviously that is not necessarily something that has to be done. I I know brilliant um, writers who don't always have their ideas fully formed before they go to to type them out and unfortunately I am one of those but we can't I'm not gonna (laughs) comment on my own ability but um I myself you know I don't always have things ready to be um ready to go before I start writing and that's okay but you have to be willing to shape and change your form around your protagonist especially if you have a protagonist like Christopher who is um requires more lateral thinking more um thinking in terms of what's completely right for your novel you know you do fall into like bog standard ideas of first person narrator third person narrator second person narrator maybe if you're feeling funny um but if you then only stick to those they aren't always right in every situation And I think that Curious Instant benefits greatly from having this protagonist who is, you know, completely alive and living through the form of the novel. And I think Haddon's got it completely right. So I think it's, um, I think it's a novel that's well worth a read, um, no matter what genre you write, even if you don't write YA, even if you don't want to write whatever I can't even think this isn't a mystery novel it's I don't know it's supposed to be a children's book but I think you can um you can benefit from it at all at all points in your writing because sometimes children's books they're not simple right we have this misconception that because they're aimed at children they're simple but sometimes I think that they're more bare in terms of they're less subtle they're faster to read um although there are subtleties I take that back there are subtleties to this novel but you know there are um they're easy reads and they're fast reads and they tell you a lot that you need to know 
um, about characters and I think they also sometimes have to be a little bit creative and I think that this is one of those books that's had to be quite creative but um, yeah I definitely think it's worth a read and I definitely think it's worth considering it for the narrative voice it's an unreliable narrative voice but with a twist um, they're not being unintentionally they're not being intentionally unreliable they are sort of just they happen Christopher happens to be unreliable even though he's trying his absolute best um and it's a book which uses form to a really great advantage so I would definitely recommend that I give it four stars out of five I don't think I'm ever gonna give anything five stars out of five because I always feel like with every novel you can do something better although um I think this book is pretty tiny shot, so actually I'll make it four and a half stars. I'll make it four and a half stars, why not? I'm in a good mood, but um, this book is pretty... Uh, there's no no fat on it, it's just great. And I think it's... Um, Haddon has chosen his character, his plot and his audience very well and has communicated to them extremely well and I enjoyed it and I read it as a grown-up. And I didn't ever read it as a child. So um yeah, I I really I recommend it and that's everything I have to say that I have in my head. I didn't I'm really sorry if any of that was really bad. I didn't make my notes this week. Um I've just been on that treadmill of life and it's been a little bit unrelenting and I'm a little bit fried <laughs> and um I um didn't have it in me to make notes and also my notes aren't always applicable to everything if I'm doing just a general conversation about a book I um I make the notes but if I'm just I want to talk about certain things such as this I wanted to talk about form the notes wouldn't fit you don't really want to know why I chose this book you don't want to know what I expected you don't really want to know what I got you want to know what's good and what's bad about this book so yes recommend Curious Incident The Dog in the Night Time I think it's I, I don't know you've heard what I've just said you've heard all the things that I've just had to say about myself and I'm sorry I'm going to take a sip so you're going to hear me swallow um that's about it for this week that's about everything that I have to say um I hope you enjoyed this episode if you want more then please listen um to it listen to more episodes and come back next week for the next episode I don't know what I'm going to be talking about yet. I might be talking about Handmaid's Tale. I might be talking about Lolita. Um, I'm reading The Lovely Bones at the moment, so I might talk about that. Um, and I'll see you there. And if you could, um, if you could, if you don't mind, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please, like, give it some stars and, and give it some, you know, interact with it a little bit. Give me some um, reviews is that it? Like subscribe and review? I don't know. I want to be like, like and subscribe, but I feel like that's a very YouTube, YouTube based sign off. And, um, it's, um, probably not applicable or appropriate for podcasts. So thank you for listening. Um, if you want to argue with me about the books that I've talked about this week, the book even, I actually know books. I talked about Hot Milk for a bit. I talked about Room. Then, um, please find me on Twitter, um, but please be nice, and also if you have any book recommendations for me, please send them to me, I'll add them to my ever-growing list that is 
currently stacked up high in my bedroom in the cupboard so yeah but um that's it for this week thank you very very much for listening and i will see you in the next episode bye